literally COVID hit and it's like, all right, we're working from home. And, and again, that was our opportunity to work harder than all the other brands. I remember being at home. I took my whole setup. I went home, you know, back to where I started just a, a year, you know, six months before that. Right. And I'm there and, and, you know, everyone that we had was working from home and we would have meetings every day. Okay. Let's data mine. Let's find these coaches, these facilities, and then let's reach out to them. Let's contact them and say, Hey, I know you guys are shut down. I know it's crazy right now, but just want to let you know, we're here when you're ready when, you know, when, when we get back going, we, we know we're going to get through this, we'll be there. You know, we would just send a message and we would just keep everyone kind of in the loop of what's going on. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Thanks for joining me for another episode of Building Pickleball, where I interview company and brand founders to share their story as a founder and their contribution to the fastest growing sport, Pickleball. My guest in this episode is Evan Specht. Evan Specht is a co-founder of Diadem. We talk about what it's like starting a business with your friend and former tennis partner and his background in aerospace engineering and business and how that played a role in starting a successful business like Diadem. One of my favorite parts of the interview was going over how they reacted to COVID and how they were able to flourish. Now, here's the episode. Hey, Evan, thanks for joining us today. Um, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and Diadem? Uh, my name is Evan Specht. Uh... I am a tennis player by birth, basically, um, converted to pickleball in many ways over the last few years. Um, you know, I started Diadem with a business partner of mine, AJ Bartlett. We met playing uh, professional tournaments in Mexico, actually, for the first time, you know, maybe 15 years ago. Um, and uh, after we kind of finished our playing careers, we both got into coaching. He was more of the general like uh, club teaching pro working with you know the average you know older lady or young kids but just kind of just regular lessons and I went with the high performance junior pro route so I was working with some high level juniors some some kids that were transitioning into the pro side or college um, so we had a little bit different background in, in our coaching which then led us both to the same end goal, which is we didn't really want to be in coaching forever. And we wanted to transition into uh, a business side of the sport that we loved. So, um, you know, we had a lot of experience in, in both coaching a, a wide range of players with, from like, you know, I was doing more of the high level and he was doing more of the recreational. I coached some in college as well. Um, so we, we felt that we could create products that, you know, could hit the entire market wouldn't be specific for just one type of person or one type of player, but that we could really understand what each individual customer would need and to be able to create products for them. And so with our background in playing, coaching, I also went to uh, Embry-Riddle Uni Aeronautic University. So I studied aerospace engineering. So I had a, a background in engineering and business. We felt that we had a kind of unique opportunity to uh, disrupt the tennis market a little bit. And so that's what we did. I think sometimes there's a lot of people have like constraints or like rules around business. Like sometimes people don't want to mix business and like family or friends. How did you know that partnering up with AJ, you wouldn't really risk the friendship and that you kind of had that relationship that would 
thrive into a yeah, successful I mean, that's, business? That's a really good question. And I would probably, uh, you know, also agree with that in, in many regards. And, you know, I mean, obviously there's uh, examples where that works. My parents had a business together and they ran it out of our house. So, you know, I heard the yelling and, and I also saw the success too. So um, for us, it was a unique situation too, in that we, um, you know, were friends and, and, and we competed together and, and all that, but we actually never really, besides a few months, lived around the same area. So, I mean, he has been and still is based in California and I was based in Florida. And so the relationship, while we were, we were friends and we knew each other and, and, you know, played fantasy basketball together, you know, but like, it was still more of a, almost a business relationship from the beginning. Um, and so, you know, we, we put, you know, what we could put in our work and, and, and the initial capital and, and, and we did that, but almost like as business partners from the beginning, because we weren't just like friends growing up together, hanging out, getting a beer. We were always kind of from the early onset, um, thinking about this business and how we could, how we could do it. And, and we each had our own roles early on, which morphed and changed, of course. But, um, so it was kind of a unique situation where, Sure, we were friends, but it was it was more of a business friendship even from early on. Yeah, um, kind of going back to your background in like aerospace engineering and both how uh, you and AJ have an experience, uh, heavy experience in tennis. From I believe from what I've heard in previous interviews is that you you guys started with the tennis balls first. No, we started with the tennis string first. That was the first product. Yeah. So we actually started developing the tennis string in 2011 and, and, and that process for, for us, so we, we didn't know anything about tennis string production. We knew, we knew everything there is to know about like what string we liked. We've strong, we'd strung, you know, thousands of rackets, you know, cause I did that on the side too. I was stringing rackets uh, before we did all this. Um, uh, but in terms of like, how do you, design, develop, and produce a string. <clears throat> so I remember like one of the first things I was doing was I, I would email um, college professors at schools like Auburn and I think it was like Caltech, like that were in the monofilament uh, college, you know, like they had this background and they actually had the machines and the ability to produce it. And, uh, you know, what I was able to do is, you know, use tennis, which is, you know, a fun, cool thing and find people that were into tennis. And so a couple of these professors were actually also tennis players, you know, so they were willing to give me advice and information just, you know, just because I asked for it and, you know, to be a part of the process. Um, and then we were just spending a lot of time trying to source, you know, from nothing, what kind of vendors and factories could produce this. Again, we, we weren't in the business. We didn't have any inside scoop. We didn't have a sourcing team. So, it was literally Google, you know, and, and, you know, obviously it's, it was still in the, in the internet age. I mean, this is only like 2011, but it was, it was a lot different back then. I mean, it was a lot harder to get a hold of a factory in Taiwan then than it is now. So, um, you know, I actually at one point flew over there. I mean, this is before we had a business, before we had anything, I had meetings with them. Um, it's like, a we, we actually have a, a mural on our wall out here and it has like kind of a timeline of, of diadem and one one of the things on the wall is like a banana because on that trip I literally had a carry-on bag and one shirt and I put my banana 
<laughs> on top when I was sitting there and it got smashed and I had banana all over my shirt, you know, for my meeting. It was like ridiculous. So I had to wear a sweater the entire time trying to act like, and at that time I was, I was pretty young. I mean, I was in my twenties and you know, they looked at me and like, like, who are you? And I had to, I literally lied about my age. I'm like, no, nah, I just look young. I'm 32. I've been doing that. You know, like I, it was, it was really funny in the beginning trying to break into this, um, trying to get people to do things for us without us coming in saying, oh, here's $50,000, let's do this. It was like, hey, do you want to be part of this process? And so for the factories that we worked with early on that did a lot of prototyping with us, one in Taiwan and one in Germany, they, they produced monofilament uh, polyester product, right? But not tennis string. So it was an opportunity for them to kind of expand their product line. They were making sutures or window screens and things like that. Like this stuff here on my window, I mean, they're producing that. It's the same material, same machine. So um, we were able to kind of convince them like, hey, this is going to be good for your business to expand your market. And uh, and it worked. Um, and then we were able to take everything we learned. We ended up going into a, a kind of a well-known, trusted factory um, that's been producing our strings from the beginning with all of the the lessons and the prototyping and the designs that we kind of did along the way. Yeah. So it may, may, might seem like it's been like a long time now, but um, I was very interested when you were talking about in the early days, you know, like back in 2011, absolutely like things you only had were like things like Google yeah. um, and it was very hard to get a hold of businesses there. It wasn't like a saturated market and things like that. It's like, what kind of comes to mind when you think about what made founding a business back then successful? Like, were there certain traits yeah. or characteristics? That you yeah, all did? I think number one, and I tell people all the time, is it's hard work. I mean, it, you know, luck. I also say luck is a big part of it, but you don't get lucky unless you put yourself in the position to get lucky, and that's in anything. So it could be like, you know, if I hit a forehand that clips the tape and rolls over. Well, if I wouldn't have hit a clean ball that direction, you know, if I would have shanked it, it would have went behind me. So I never would have even had that opportunity. So for us in where we've gone and there's so many steps, so many partners, so many like people along the way and factories and stuff that just this like winding road that we took, none of it <clears throat> would have been possible without, you know, ridiculous amounts of horror. I don't know how many times I remember you know, AJ's like getting ready to get on court. I'm on court and it's just like, yeah, we haven't heard from these guys in three weeks, man. It's done. It's like, okay, you know, all right, should we just stop and we're just going to coach now, you know? And it's like, no, let me try, let me try this again. Let me try that. And it was like 3 a.m. emails, 3 a.m. phone calls with Taiwan, just trying to get them on the, I mean, I would call this factory at one point, we were trying to work with this factory in Colombia, and I would call and it would, the only phone number I had went to like, the factory floor and it was so loud and they're speaking Spanish and I don't speak Spanish and I'm just trying to figure it out. It's like all these things when we were bootstrapping again, it's different if you're a company that has a angel investor from the beginning and you're starting with $10 million and you're like, you, you got these connections and everyone's looking to take your money for us. It was literally bootstrapping, with you know, just hard work effort. I don't know how many people from, you know, tennis warehouse saying, why would you, why would you start a, why would you start a string? Why would you do another string company? Why would you be in tennis? It's the worst market to be in. Why would you do it to 
when we were trying to do the balls, why would you can't make tennis balls? Only only Wilson Head Babylon can make tennis balls. You can't do that. Why would you even try? All these all these ways to just keep pushing. The other the other thing that's lucky for AJ and I is we're extremely competitive, like like ultimately competitive. So I I love when someone tells me I can't do something. I mean, that's like I literally have to tell my wife sometimes, no, 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 tell me I can't do this. So then I'll do it. But we have to like do that because it's like, you know, I mean, she could be literally you're not going to clean. The, you're not gonna be able to clean the floor today. Right. Like, oh, yeah, really? You don't think I can like, you know, so just like these th- those kind of things helped us a lot. Being athletes, competitive athletes, professional college athletes. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I mean, I think we're relatively smart um, you know, savvy and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's just hard work. Like if, if I always felt if I was working at 8am on Saturday morning, I, I, Wilson's not, I know the, the head guy at Wilson's not doing the head guy at Babylon's not doing that. The gamma guy's not doing that. So I always felt like, Hey, if we worked seven days a week, I can do, I can fill the role of five people maybe, you know, and that's what we did early on to, to get it going. And I mean, obviously we have a pretty large team now, but it's still, we have huge goals and, and huge aspirations. So we're, we're still working for sure harder than anyone else in the industry. And that's, that's uh, I think, a benefit to us. And that's absolutely needed. If you want to start something from scratch with no support, no help, you need to absolutely work harder than anybody. Yeah, that's funny. Your wife's probably like, you won't watch the kid for like a month. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Like, you can't. Yeah, no. I mean, you should. Yeah. It's pretty bad. Like the way I have to work sometimes to just be like, no, tell me I cannot do it. If you tell me I can do it, if you tell me I'm good, then like, what do I need you for? You know, you got to be against me. Yeah. On that subject, not the watching <laughs> yeah. your child or things like that, but um, back to the topic of legacy brands. You know, I think that's a big hesitation a lot of founders have is like something that comes up immediately is well, this person's already doing it and they're like doing it with way more capital, way more resources. Like what kind of went through you and AJ's mind when you're like, there are these legacy brands like Wilson and Head. Um, and yeah, kind of like I, I, I think that? a part of it was like a stepping stone as well. I mean, when we first started and we had string, I mean, of course it would have been cool. I mean, we definitely thought about, oh, it'd be cool to have a racket someday. It'd be cool to have balls. It'd be cool to have this and that but like we were just thinking hey can we what can we do with this what can we do with some string can we compete with Selenko? can we compete with some of the string brands um and as we took step after step after step then you started having these bigger goals now it's like can we what can we take from wilson what can we take from babylon um and when we brought on our partner in uh, i think it was i think it was 2020 now um jeff um, and so he's he's an investor, but also uh, just a shrewd businessman and 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 his team with with Mike Manglardi. So, um, you know, we we started to get some support, obviously, and, and we were, st- you know, started to, you know, put in a little bit of money. Most of it's still bootstrapped, but um, we were able, to, you know, to have a, a warehouse and and uh, uh, offices and, and to be able to grow the business when we kind of got to that point. You know, one of the first things Jeff saw when we were in discussions about, hey, is this partnership something you were both interested in? Is he looked at the brands, the, the big legacy brands, and saw a lot of flaws in what they were doing. Um, if if you notice, what they kind of typically do is is from like the top down. You know, they're going to get 
the the pro players they're going to get the big box stores and then and, and the magazine ads and it, and it flows down we're more from the bottom up we work with the coaches the juniors um the the small facilities the stringers we love stringers we love uh the people that are out there putting a racket putting string putting a pickleball paddle in somebody's hand and and saying their experience hey i have a great relationship with with diadem i like their products i think this one might be good for you and if you like it let's see if we can get you put into it you know and so um that's kind of the grassroots focus that we've done uh, at the same time we hit people pretty aggressively on social media so so we're like kind of both the the high tech and the low tech side um what we stay away from is the mass marketing you know in a tv or you know magazine ad you know and and you know we're we're obviously starting to get some pros and and we you know we have a lot of juniors heading into the pro scene college players we we like the young and exciting and potential future what what we'll never do is pay somebody that's a millionaire a million dollars to to use our racket maybe at the twilight of their career or whatever just to say hey we have this guy who maybe by the way isn't even using the racket but using a painted version of the racket like a lot of the pros do what we like to do is take that million dollars and spread it out to junior players we do a lot for foundations and pickleball we you know we we give to tunnels to towers. We, you know, we do a lot of donations for tournaments. Like we like that grass. We like to spread it out and build it up on like a wide spread, um, you know, base as opposed to giving that one, you know, paying Roger Federer $10 million to say this product's good. You know, I, he doesn't need the money. And, and although it'd be great to have his support, uh, we want people that are actually really excited to use the product and not just using it because we're paying them a lot of money. Uh, and that's kind of just been our philosophy. And there's so there's so many people playing tennis, so many people playing pickleball that there's a lot of growth to happen at that lower lower levels, at that lower like just grassroots, ground floor, just average player. You know, just just somebody that's a four o, four five, a three o, doesn't matter. That just just looking to play tennis, and that's who we're that's who we're concerned about. Yeah. I was speaking with the founder of Kitsch and then also founder of Volaire, and they were saying very similar things about like, yeah, you could focus on the pros, but that's just such a small piece of the market. And instead they're focusing on the rec players and those like everyday people and putting out products for them and just really focusing on them. Um, how, what made you and AJ think of going into pickleball? Like, do you yeah. remember when that idea? Well, came? I remember when we were presenting um, to, to Jeff, I remember it was in our deck, like, eh, maybe we'll do pickleball someday, you know, just to like, you know, throw, throw that out there. Like, Hey, this is a sport that's growing. Um, our vendors and our R and D team that, you know, they can all do, it's the same stuff. It's the same materials. It's the same processes. Um, it's the same vendors. Um, so it was, it's obviously was within our wheelhouse. Um, our first step was we put in a pickleball court out back and we started playing and we started to see, Hey, is this, you know, does this have the potential? Because at that time <clears throat> there was some thoughts that were 
you know, against pickleball. One, you know, a lot of people were complaining. We were tennis players, right? And in general, tennis players are kind of like anti-pickleball until you get into pickleball. You're like, ah, this noise, uh, this is, it's too easy. Uh, you know, I've, I've been training for 15 years, 20 years, 30 years to get where I am. And now you're telling me I can pick up pickleball and be as good as anyone, you know, that's ever played. It's like, this isn't fair. So, um, and then the sound, and then, you know, even me initially, initially just on a pure business side, I was thinking, okay, so we sell them a paddle and they're, they don't need to restring the, they don't need to restring it. They only need one. We're never going to see them again. What, like, how's this going to work? Um, and what we started to find as we were playing, as we were out there on the courts, you know, at, there's so many local courts here in South Florida and so many clubs doing it. We, we started to realize you open up someone's bag they don't have one paddle. They have five paddles. And what's unique in pickleball compared to tennis, in tennis, the, their bag would have five tennis rackets, all exactly the same, of course, because you don't want to mess with that. In in these bags, pickleball bags, there were five different paddles because everyone's, one, coming up with new stuff all the time. The sport's, you know, uh, changing so quickly with the technology of the, the paddles and the equipment and all that, that there's always something new and exciting. Um, but also, you know, people could literally use a paddle for singles, a paddle for doubles, a paddle when it's windy, a paddle when they're tired, a paddle that looks cool, that doesn't look cool, whatever. So I started to think, well, wait a second. I mean, you know, if we can, if we can be selling multiple paddles to the same person and the sport is growing like crazy where there's millions of people pouring in, there's a huge opportunity there. So we fell in love with the way that the sport was in terms of playing. I started playing some tournaments. Um, I was, I was playing quite a bit early on, was able to test um, some of our early uh, products for quite a while as we were trying to enter the market with a, with a product with the, what was with our icon paddle, which is very similar to how we constructed a tennis racket. So the same factory that made our tennis racket made that it was a molded construction. We had foam foam around the outside, just like we did in our rackets. So um, it, it was really cool to kind of just basically make in our mind, a, a tennis version of a pickleball paddle and played great. And, you know, all of a sudden we realized there's all these new shops opening up. There was, there was a huge demand for, for paddles. And so we were able to kind of quickly expand the line and, and reach a lot of people really quickly. Um, and so, yeah, I mean that it was, a uh, it, it started slow, um, in terms of like, do we want to do pickleball? And then as soon as we decided and played it a little bit, we're like, yeah, we're all in. And, and that's been a huge part of our business the last year and a half. Yeah. Given Diadem started in 2019, right before COVID, like what changes did you have to make against that economic climate that you could later turn into a lesson for the future? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we technically started in 2015 in 2019 was kind of that, that transition year with our partner, bringing in, bringing him in. And then us going from literally just me and me and AJ to, you know, a couple employees and then starting to hire employees around that time. So right when COVID started, we had actually just hired two full-time salespeople, um, like our first salespeople trained them, got them ready to, to go out there and do kind of the plan we had done work with the, the, the high school coaches, the, the stringers, the, the teaching pros, and then try to build up into the clubs and pro shops and all that stuff. And uh, literally COVID hit and it's like, all right, we're working from home. And, and again, that was our opportunity to work harder 
than all the other brands. I remember being at home. I took my whole setup. I went home, you know, back to where I started just a, a year, you know, six months before that, right? And I'm there and, and, you know, everyone that we had was working from home and we would have meetings every day. Okay, let's data mine. Let's find these coaches, these facilities, and then let's reach out to them. Let's contact them and say, hey, I know you guys are shut down. I know it's crazy right now, but just want to let you know we're here when you're ready. When, you know, when, when we get back going, we, we know we're going to get through this. We'll be there. You know, we would just send a message. We would just keep everyone kind of in the loop of what's going on. And when people started to go back on the courts, which was actually before kind of the world even opened up because people realized, hey, we can go play tennis, man. I mean, the, we're, we're all the way on the other side of the court as people. And so like teaching pros are getting back out there on public courts where they could get to. And at that time, Wilson, Babylon, had all these legacy brands. I mean, they're shut down. They are completely shut down. They stopped. They canceled all their orders. They were they, nobody's working from home. They just weren't working. You couldn't get a hold of Wilson if your life depended on it. So who was there? Who, who did they remember messaged them? We were just hitting these guys over and over. Hey, you need something. You need something. You need something. And they go, hey, I need balls, man. I mean, people are dying to play tennis. Well, we got balls. Let's go. And so, you know. To, for us, COVID actually, you know, was a big, you know, push forward for us to get kind of known because we were the only ones providing anything for about a month and a half before those guys started to, you know, that slow turn of those big brands started to kind of get back into it. And uh, by that time, we had taken a lot of customers because we were there when people needed them. And uh, so, so for us, that was kind of a big turning point in the brand. And especially with introducing balls, because we had just invested a ton of money to bring in balls. The first time we had balls was like right before COVID happened. And now we couldn't produce enough balls, you know, to meet the demand. So it was it was a, a big turning point for us. Yeah, I, I think like a lot of things in life are just like cyclical and there's always waves. There's always these ups and downs. So. How did you keep that momentum? Like you had that lead when you said right. you were saying these companies shut down, y'all stayed open, like had that lead, that leeway, like a month and a half. Yeah. I mean, that? a lot of it was, um, what I had mentioned earlier, luck, right? I mean, it was luck, but like, who was the one messaging when everyone else is at home doing nothing? You know, who was the one still purchasing? We were still ordering while, while every other vendor literally in the world was like, we can't order. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, like we were keeping our orders going. We were paying the employees still. We were paying our vendors still. You know what I mean? So we, we just kept pushing like everything was going to be okay. And I mean, I guess that was a risk. Um, but in, in our defense, it worked. And so when it, you know, now a month goes by and Wilson's back open, but now a couple months go by and nobody has product because they had canceled all of, all of their orders. Right. I mean, there was the, you know, there was nothing moving, no boats were moving, nothing, you know, and here's us still receiving product. And at the same time, what, what's kind of unique about us is because we're growing so quickly during then and still now, we're ordering not for what we need today. Wilson, big brands, it's just in time, right? They're, they know they're going to sell a thousand rackets this week. They're ordering a thousand rackets. We, we are growing. So we're ordering usually 3x what we need today, we order because we assume in a year or six months, we're going to need that. So we have more stock than what we actually need for what we're selling on a month to month basis. And so we still had product, even if the boats weren't 
weren't moving and the product wasn't being produced. And so we just always sit down and we come up with a plan each month, you know, for the next month, you know, what are we going to focus on? And so when we had a, an excess at that time of say balls, it's like, Hey, we know there is a demand for balls out there. People are playing more tennis than ever before. More balls are going to be needed. And there's less balls on the market from all the legacy brands. So we were focusing on, you know, reaching out to these clubs, tournaments, facilities, let's get them balls. Let's introduce our brand in the way of balls. And that was kind of what we did for the rest of that first COVID year was just really focus on balls. And, and we started getting messages all the time, man, I, I picked up this ball on the court and I saw it was diadem. I never heard of it. I looked you guys up and I'm calling you now. Like, who are you guys? You know, I've never seen your brand. I didn't know someone could just make a ball. And, uh, and, and by the way, it was a great ball. So I'm calling you. And so we were, we were getting a lot of inbound calls. We were doing a lot of outbound calls and we were just kind of building these, these, what we like to call building this engine where we, we have a plan and it's just something we can scale up. You know, you call 10 coaches today, you call 10 coaches tomorrow, you call 10 coaches. The next thing you know, you've called 30 coaches and a couple of them start buying and it just starts to snowball. And so we just kept doing that during, during the time when everyone was kind of struggling to get product and that struggle to get product only got worse with all the issues with the cost to import products, you know, the delays because there's COVID still going on and the factories are shutting down. And so we were able to just manage it um, because we expected it. And so we were buying more than what we needed. We were paying the, you know, $30,000 to bring in a container of balls when it used to be two, we were just dealing with it. And we were just using this opportunity when everyone else was pulling back because they have to manage their costs because they're a big corporation. And if they're worried about, you know, like uh, the bottom line, you know, for us, we, we don't really worry about that for the most part. We just worry about our top line revenue, growing the business, top of mind awareness. And, and so that's what we just kept doing. Will we see a diet in pickleball? In about a month. Heard it here first. Yeah. Hopefully, tournament, hopefully tournament USAPA approved pickleball, the power pickleball will launch in about a month. And so, yeah, we're super excited for that. Um, we do have a, a ball now. It's more of like a training ball and, you know, that's how it's it's sold. And so some, some people, you know, like it in, in terms of like putting it in their basket, more of a rec ball, but this ball will be one that we're aggressively uh, pushing to tournaments, uh, facilities, things like that to kind of as an alternative to like the Dura or the X40. That's awesome. That's super yeah. exciting. I think a lot of people are tired of just seeing those yeah. two. Yeah. And we think it'll Dura offer, you know, great playability. Of course, the key is, you know, can you make a ball more durable? That's still fast and, and hard. And um, I mean, this is a, a compound that we were working on for a long time. So we're, we're pretty excited about it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I think that's definitely one huge benefit when you have a one brand that came from tennis and pickleball, two similar sports that there is some yeah. like overlap and yeah. being able to benefit from the technology and the experience. Um, it's like, I keep hearing this, like how, I don't know if it's necessarily a marketing strategy, but you reach out to facilities and coaches in the, in the tennis realm, as far as like getting them equipment. Um, are you using that same strategy in pickleball? I'm not sure if that infrastructure is similar. Yeah, so it is. And, and we, we have, I mean, it, it's a little different and we've kind of adapted it as we've gone along. Um, but yeah, I mean, especially initially, um, we definitely did. I think there's a lot less 
coaches in the pickleball world. Um, whereas in tennis, I mean, like if you're a, you know, PTR or US um, PTA certified, I mean, you may be coaching for 15, 30 years and there's a lot of respect that comes with that. And if you're repping our brand and you're a big fan of our brand, it's going to, it's going to get to a lot of people and they're going to, they're going to respect that and trust that. Um, in pickleball, you know, there's a lot of teaching pros that are brand new. They started yesterday right and you know they do command some respect because maybe they're a great player or they understand the game but um you you, you, we definitely are careful of what you know the negative term is like a trunk dealer so we don't want like people to think like okay you can get this like paddle under the you know behind the scenes get it cheaper and you know Maybe it doesn't seem like it's as legit. So most of our sales in pickleball do go through our great partners on the retail side. So whether it's a club that has a pro shop or there's a lot of just brick and mortar pickleball stores or half pickleball, half tennis, say, um, and then some of the big online retailers. So um, and what what is also a little bit unique about pickleball is there's a, a large demand for direct to consumer. So we do a significant business on our website in, in the pickleball side. We we do it for tennis as well, but I mean it's like it's like, you know, 90% pickleball on our website, 10% tennis maybe because tennis is just it's a you, you got to demo the racket for a while. You got to see a few people use it. You got to have your coach give you the the okay. Whereas pickleball, you might have a 55-year-old you know, guy that's just like, Hey, I want a pickleball paddle. I'm going to go buy one. And, and, you know, they don't need to listen to anybody or, you know, they can just go figure it out on their own. So they, they do that and they'll buy on our, on our website directly from us. Gotcha. Um, where's the focus now? Like you mentioned the ball, which is happening in like a month. I've seen ambassadors, you know, people pushing the paddles, which is great. I have a couple of friends that are doing it and I have, I know, multiple people who have been using the warrior. I know people who have used the icon in the past. You're starting to see it pop up in tournaments. Like what's the focus for diadem right now? Well, I mean, I think on the pickleball side, it's just continuing to come out with great product. We really, um, really happy with the product we have, but we also understand and right as soon as we put it out, we're already developing the next version. So in 2023, we will have, the Icon V2, the Warrior V2, and the Warrior Edge V2 all launching. And, um, you know, in the tennis world, we're on a basically a three-year cycle of the next generation of rackets. Um, so every three years, we'll come out with a new version of that racket. So we just launched in January the Elevate V3, which has been three years since since the last one. But in the pickleball, we're more on like a year, year and a half cycle. And that's just because the the demand for the new technology, um, you know, just the new technology that we're coming out with <clears throat> is just rapidly changing. Whereas in tennis, we're tweaking, fine tuning little things. Really, the rackets haven't had that much change to them in the last, say, 15 years in tennis. Whereas pickleball, a paddle that's five years old is just completely irrelevant, basically, at this point. You know, they're using, you know, probably a glass fiber face and, you know, a cheap honeycomb and, you know, a crappy edge guard and things like that. So we're really gearing our pickleball towards a molded construction like the icon was and like our tennis rackets, much more durable, you know, no dead spots. Um, We're, you know, implementing different types of materials in, in the core, like, you know, our vice paddle that's 
not approved, but it's it's an amazing paddle, and we're taking some of that technology and putting it into our approved paddles. Um, so in in the pickleball side, we're definitely our focus is just great product. We do have a few pros. We're really excited about Christian Alshon. I don't know if you've seen him play, but he is actually a player I used to coach in tennis um, as as a junior, and um, you know. I, he was starting to play a little bit and uh james ignato which is another another kid i used to coach that i used to play a ton of pickleball with when i was like dude you got to do pickleball you got to do pickleball and we kind of did the same thing with christian and uh he fell in love with it met a lot of people that really you know were pushing him and he made the decision to go full pickleball and from his first basic basically his first pickleball hit it was using a diadem and so we were able to you know, he's, he's a loyal guy. He's a, he's a good guy. And he, you know, we were able to kind of build this plan around him. And we hope that in the next few months, he can really, you know, continue to, to improve his, his, uh, success. I mean, he's, he's got some good wins, but once he starts getting those gold medals and people are already starting to recognize him and know him, he does a great job with social media content as well. But once he can get some titles under his belt, I'd love to make him a signature paddle and build around his needs. But so that's kind of the pickleball side. Um, on the tennis side, you know, we're trying to just continue to get our ball out there, get our brand recognition. I think in the pickleball side, a lot of people know who we are. Um, in the tennis side, it's not as many as we'd like. You know, there's definitely people around the world who have never heard of, of Diadem. And there's a lot of people who maybe have heard of it, but have never tried a product. So our goal is just brand awareness on the tennis side, you know, we have a significant amount of products coming out over the next few years, uh, but it's about building partnerships with some of our distributors around the world. Um, you know, we got a, a really good team in Japan that we're going to visit here in a couple of weeks. So just building the brand awareness there. Our Europe team is doing a great job. Um, and, and, it's, and it's just about how many people can we get to, to touch diadem for the first time. And balls um, has historically been a great way to do that because it's very easy to try three, three, buy a can of three balls or use it in a tournament that you're forced to use. And now you get your first interaction with diadem. Absolutely. It's really exciting. Um, back to Christian Alshon. It's definitely got a lot of traction behind him right now and rightfully so. But as far as like selecting pros, we see that very often with a lot of brands in, in the pickleball side right now is like sponsoring pros, what goes through, maybe you're responsible for this decision. Uh, maybe it's someone else, but like what goes through your mind when you want someone to represent Diadem and what Diadem also represents? Yeah. And, uh, you know, we've talked to a few on the tennis side as well and haven't really pulled the trigger on like a big name guy. Um, and, and in pickleball, um, we had the Johnson brothers in 2022 and we decided to, you know, kind of focus uh, on Christian for 2023. We're not, we're not going to bring on 20 guys, you know, and pay them. We are, you know, paying Christian and supporting him and, and um, you know, helping him achieve his goals. That's kind of like our mindset. We want to help you achieve your goals. And obviously if he achieves his goals, it's great for us too. What we look for um, of course was somebody that kind of like us that we feel was going to go in there and disrupt a little bit. You know, I, I'm not looking for the guy that's been around for, for five years. Um, they're obviously going to want probably more money than they're worth uh, because there's people willing to, to pay a lot for them. Um, but also, you know, we feel like a guy like Christian, 
I, I know him very well. I know his athletic ability. But beyond that, I know his competitiveness. I, I used to play cross-court tennis points with him. He would, wouldn't play us unless it's for 10 bucks. You, you, you want to play me? It's 10 bucks. I mean, this is when he's 14 years old. So we had to literally put our money on the table. And oftentimes he would beat us because, you know, when he can isolate to his strengths, he's literally was unbeatable. He was a top junior. I mean, from 12 to 14 to 16, he was number one in the country. Um, he had a few uh, deficiencies in his backhand side serve. Maybe, I mean, he, he might see this podcast and he'll completely agree. And um, in pickleball, he can completely protect any deficiency he does have, which I don't think he even has one. I think it's just about he needs to continue to play more, get used to, you know, what the other top pros are doing. I mean, he's beaten several of them, but, you know, I mean, like a guy like Ben Johns, he knows he, that last match yesterday, he knew how to beat Christian and he executed it and Christian didn't, couldn't stop it. I think in the future he will, but what we, what we looked for in Christian was somebody that's going to have the passion, somebody that's going to disrupt, somebody that's going to do something their own way, which is going to be, you know, also tied to diadems way will feed off each other um, and kind of disrupt the current mold of what maybe a pickleball pro is. Uh, The other great thing about Christian is he's really dedicated to his social media present, his, 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 you know, vlogs, podcasting, all that stuff. And so it's kind of like getting a little bit of double benefit in, in the pickleball scene, you know, the forums, the, the videos, all that stuff is, is, you know, the age that we're in and that's the age that pickleball starting. It's, it's what people want. You know, you can't just be a great pro and people are just going to know who you are. You need to kind of put that content out there. And he does a really, really good job with that. Um, you know, he's, he's a very confident kid and we like that, you know, we want him to, you know, come at people, you know, like be aggressive towards someone in a mat. Like that's, that's that passion that diadem is and that he is. And so for us, it was a, it was a really good match and I'm really excited to see what he does this year. And I mean, we'll always look for pros like that pros that are going to be, you know, somebody that we can build a brand around. So for him, I mean, I hope that we can build a brand of a paddle around him. One of our paddles, you know, could be his line in the future. Um, and, and, and hopefully we could do that with, with other people as well. Yeah. That passion is in, very like critical component to the success of the sport, or at least getting more yeah. eyes on the sport. I think a lot of players, maybe it's just because I come from MMA, but like, I feel like a lot of players don't really have super exciting stories. So they need to find a way to put, make a story on the court. Um, that's definitely very exciting yeah. stuff. Uh, as far as what you're going to, what you see with uh, Christian and that partnership what do you now that Diadem's been in the industry, pickleball industry for a few years now? What is the biggest challenge that you're seeing right now? That's a good question. Um, you know, I think there is definitely a challenge with the amount of brands out there. Um, I, I think that uh, in in a, in a way, it's it's creating a bit of a almost like a stigma, like, like, uh, you know, are we considered a a big brand or a small brand? If you're considered a small brand, well, there's, there's a million brands. So like what, you know, what's different from you, you know, what, what, what's differentiating your product? I think a lot of people understand what differentiates us. And I think a lot of people 
would see us as a bigger brand, but still all these brands in there that are kind of almost mudding the water that are copying and, and just producing. I mean, there's a couple brands out there that have literally exactly copied our, our paddles. And, you know, while it's, it's a little bit flattering, sure. You know, it's just like, there's gets to be this, like, well, I'm on this team. So I'm against that team and a lot of negativity, social media, there's a lot of negativity. I mean, you negativity sells on social media. If you produce a video, like you're doing this video and it's kind of just like, Hey, let's, let's see what the journey is. I mean, if you did a video of a hit piece on us, you'd probably get more views now, please don't do that. But, um, you know, negativity kind of sells. And so, um, it's just kind of fighting that a little bit, trying to just make sure that people understand who we are and what our brand is about, which is, you know, there is no negativity. It's just about growing the sport. It's about, um, you know, building, a, a team in an environment where you're excited to play, with our paddles or our equipment and stuff like that. So I would say all the brands and the negativity is really the only challenge. Um, I, you know, for us, like the supply chain, the development, all that stuff is, is, is going well. We've, we've really navigated that in, in a, in a way that's probably better than some of our competitors and it's given us that advantage. Um, and you know, there's so much growth that it's almost like you can't go wrong sometimes in, in the, in the path you take, you know, there's so many new facilities opening. There's so many new stores opening. There's so many new players playing. Um, you know, surprisingly, maybe the one challenge that just pickleball overall is facing is a lack of courts. Like we don't really see it here in South Florida because there are a lot of courts. And th even though there is a lot there, there could be more, you go to any park, there's, 50 people waiting to play on like a Saturday morning. But we know in a lot of communities around the country, there's a definite need for more courts, like real pickleball courts, not drawing a line on a, on a tennis court or, or a floor of a gym. So in, in general, I would say for us challenges, um, we're meeting them and we're, we're moving past them. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I can definitely attest to the lack of infrastructure as far as pickleball yeah. courts. Um, I'm in Austin, okay. Texas. We have a huge community, but like Dreamland, that's really like 30 minutes out. And I think a lot of people in Austin are kind of spoiled as far as the commute goes. So a lot of people don't really want to make that trek. And there were some ideas floating around of people buying out large properties and putting down like 36 courts just never came to fruition. And it's exactly what you said. People are just like painting lines on tennis courts. Uh, there are very few dedicated pickleball courts. So yeah, if uh, anyone is looking to build a facility. Yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, th there's definitely going to be facilities being built. I, I There's a lot in the works, you know, I mean, when you're building one from scratch, it, it costs a lot of money, obviously. And, you know, is that land? better used to build an apartment complex, you know, that's what people are faced with. So um, I think turning um, tennis facilities that maybe have an excess amount of tennis courts and could spare some for pickleball, a lot of the parks and facilities here, there, for some reason, there was a lot of like, like roller rinks here, like outdoor, like roller rinks that I don't think were being used. So those in all the parks have been turned into to pickleball. Um, they're even they were turning some basketball courts in, which basketball courts get used pretty well, but there's a more demand for pickleball right now. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned the roller rinks because there's like this surface. There's three tennis, there's three dedicated pickleball courts, and there's like the other half of it is people doing rollerblading, and they have like 
they cut it off and they have like dedicated groups for that. People playing futsal. Um, It's crazy. And these are like, the surface isn't even painted. It's like slippery courts. And these, it's probably the most popular courts um, in Austin as far as like close to downtown. Um, You've gone from being a founder to now, you know, like at the director level leadership, what is your focus now in your role? I think a lot of people, a lot of founders sometimes miss the excitement and like kind of discovering a lot of things and having that like entrepreneurial, uh, I guess like path very early on. Like how has that changed for you as far as what you're doing in your day-to-day operations? Yeah, I mean, I'm still very much involved in like a lot of aspects. Um, we're still a pretty small crew. Uh, we probably have at this point like 35 in-house employees, um, which, you know, for a few years ago seems like an incredible amount, but it's like, it just, it isn't that much really when you think about it and all the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. So, um, you know, I'm getting, going through hundreds of emails a day, just from helping out with, um, customer service at times, um, to taking inbound leads, um, you know, and then I'm involved still primarily doing a lot of the product development with our R and D team. Um, what we always want to do as long as we still can is the final kind of process is always going to go through, you know, me and AJ, we're still able to go out when he, he was in town the other day, we went and prototyped, tested some rackets, some paddles like that. Like we still play enough that we feel we, we can kind of understand, is this paddle or racket going to be right for the consumer we're making it for? You know, I mean, you can give rackets to a top pro, but what does that top pro know about a, you know, seven-year-old girl, you know, and maybe what do I know about a seven-year-old girl, but I've coached them, I've developed them and, and stuff. So I still feel like I, we have a pretty good understanding. And so we're really involved with that. My main kind of focus has been, of course, logistics, operations, you know, the stuff, the ordering coming in, the ordering going out, you know, all that. And we're kind of just as we grow, we segment off pieces that an employee we can hire can take. And that's a full time job. Like everything was with like a couple of us. And as we grow, it's like, okay, now this is a full time job. Now this is a full time job. But um, often I keep going with that much longer than I wish I had to, right? Like I'm doing, you know, still seven full-time jobs. Um, and as we can piece them off, it opens up and there's always seems to be more work. So, um, I, I, am very much involved in, in a lot of, a lot of things within the business. Um, I would, I would say that my main focus day to day is just, you know, ordering, uh, you know, products. I mean, we have so many, we have like 2000 SKUs now. So, I mean, it's a constant, you know, understanding of what vendor we're at, what the pricing is, what the lead times are. Lead times fluctuate, you know, one day it seems like a lead time for say a string is three months and all of a sudden it's nine months. And so you, you kind of have to manage that. There's no, there's no software formula that can do that because we have so many moving parts in the way that the world is now, you know, usually you'd be like, okay, when you're down to this stock, the system says order more. Well, you, you can't really do it that way because the lead times are so long, the minimums, um, and, and then of course, always coming out with new products, there's all this, this new development that we constantly have to do and understand that timeline. So, um, just a lot of things going on, um, for, for me on a day-to-day basis, which is, which is great. I, I obviously love coming to work. I'm here usually between five and six and leave, you know, 
the end of the day. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And like I said earlier, we have very, very big goals. So what we're, where we're at right now is not where we're stopping. You know, we, we, we're setting all these massive goals. And so to get there, we have to continue to do basically the work of a, a company, a couple size larger, larger than we are now. Yeah. As a player, as a customer, that's definitely very refreshing to hear that you sometimes take part in customer service. That's a small team that it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about just like grassroots, but also the fact that you test, you and AJ both test the product and are very involved in product development. I think it speaks to consistency, but also knowledge and experience. Like you're not just handing that off to someone else. It's like, look, we founded the company based on these principles and we want to, and it, it's nice to see that that's being carried through uh, up until like when it's up until inception to where we are now. Um, so you have a family now, what piece of advice do you have for a founder who has a family that sometimes doesn't know or has hesitations about work-life balance? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess I was lucky that I didn't have a family when I was starting it and I, there was no work-life balance. It was just work. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously I make time for my family. I have a eight month, almost nine month old daughter. So, I mean, I, I'm excited for her to be able to walk, to grab a tennis racket, get on court with her, pickleball, all that stuff. But, um, you know, uh, my wife is very supportive. She understands what we're trying to do here. Um, you know, she's seen a lot of, you know, from the early on to, to now and the growth and, and what it takes. Um, at the end of the day, you still have to make the effort to, to work harder than, you know, any competitor that you're trying to catch up to. If there's somebody that already has an established company that you're trying to compete with, which is probably going to happen if you're founding a company, then, you know, what are you doing to catch up to them? So, um, you know, and, and it, you know, could be just work smarter even too. I mean, not only I feel like do, you know, every, everybody in the organization pretty much you know, work hard in terms of they're there for the hours they need to be, but there, there's not a lot of wasted time. Sure. We have a great, uh, we have a great little like group of guys and girls and, and we're, do, you know, we have an indoor hitting lane here. We're always doing fun stuff. We have lunches and everyone, you know, loves sports here. Um, we, we're always doing games and all that, but like when they're coming in sitting down and grinding, I mean, they're, they're not just like, watching TV on the side, looking at their phone. I mean, I, I've been around. I mean, I know these guys are all passionate. We're, we're like kicking ass, working hard. It's not just to waste time. Everybody is kind of on the same trajectory of, of what we're trying to do. So, you know, even if you are working part-time on like some new venture, you know, like what are you doing with those hours that you're you're spending? Are you, you know, just casual about it or are you like multitasking I have, I don't know how many screens I have open on this, on my, my, my screens here, but I mean, there's, I'm doing a million things at once and you just got to be able to manage that. You got to be super organized, but I'm always going to go back to, you got to work hard, you know, just like when you're training tennis, I mean, you can, you can go out there and play for seven. We had kids that trained seven hours a day and we had kids that trained three hours, but those three hours were a lot harder, a lot more effort, a lot more energy than those seven. And those kids that were doing the three working harder were, you know, we're probably a lot further ahead. And so, um, but you're never going to catch up to Roger Federer if you're not working as hard or harder than him and, and put that effort and time in. So, 
that's what I would say. Yeah. If you weren't doing this, what would you be doing? <laughs> I don't know, man. That's a that's a tough one. I I I I do remember, you know, laying in bed at night early on before we even got this going where I didn't think this could happen and I was just thinking how how am I going to make money? What if I did this? What if I did that? What if I did this? So I'm sure I would be doing something else um, where I'm owning my own business and, and running it. I never really have worked for anybody. I did obviously some small part-time jobs early on, but then I got into coaching and it was my life, my business. Um, my parents had their own business. So I, I think I probably couldn't take orders from somebody and say like, Hey, you need to be here. You need to wear this suit. You need to be here at this time. Like, I don't think that would work. So I'm sure I would just be doing something else. Um, you know, I, I don't think I would have lasted coaching. I think it's, it's a grind and there's, you know, so many factors that determine if you're good. I mean, you look at all the great coaches, like they also had great players, like any sport, right? I mean, there's no great coach that, that achieve greatness and all their players sucked, right? So all the players that they had were good. So you always, you also got to have the right players, the right family supporting those players. And it was, it was a lot. And so I, I think I would just be in some business grinding away. Yeah. What's, this is the last question, but what is the most important piece of advice you would have for someone who wants to successfully create a business in pickleball? Well, I think in pickleball at this stage, you definitely need to decide what you're doing to differentiate yourself because there are literally 500 brands. So what what are you going to do to make it that your paddle or your service, whatever it is, that is different than anyone else? I, I do think if you really wanted to get in pickleball and you didn't have that, uh, open up a facility that's fun and exciting in an area that it needs to be because there's definitely a, a need for more courts. And uh, so, so that would be the probably the easiest way. It'll take obviously some capital. Um, if you wanted to start, you know, a brand that's creating products, they just need you need to figure out what's going to make them different because there's just so many of the same out there. And uh, I think I think the general consumer would be very interested in something that's new, exciting, and better. Yeah. So now giving you an opportunity to plug away, like where can people find you? Uh, where, what's next for Diadem? Yeah, I mean, obviously, diademsports.com is our website. Um, you can go to any of our social medias at Diadem Sports. But, you know, pretty much any store, any shop that carries pickleball um, carries us. And if they don't, then please go in there and ask them, why are you not carrying Diadem? And then we'll, uh, we'll get in there. Um, you know, for us, just keep your eyes peeled. We got new products coming out in March, April, May, June, a lot of exciting things. So we'll be teasing stuff out. Um, we'll be, you know, letting people know as we get closer to each of those launches. And some of the stuff is, is, is very, very good. And it's going to change, um, you know, it's going to change the way the game's played a little bit. And I, I, I hate to say it like that because everyone, everyone kind of has that pitch when they say stuff, but, uh, started with the vice and what we did at Diacon, um, that, technology that you know some people love some people you know thinks anti-pickleball but what we've learned is going into the paddles we're launching this year and that's what was the whole point of it yeah absolutely well um 
thanks again for your time, Evan, today. Thanks for joining us, uh, sharing your insights and experience as a founder and hopefully helping others who wish to build a business in this sport as well. Uh, find us on Instagram and YouTube at Building Pickleball. Uh, All yeah. right. Thanks, Ken. All right. Thank you, man.